Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, Episode 17. This is Writing Excuses Microcasting. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And the part of Dan this week will be played by... Eric James Stone. Microcasts. All right, more of your questions asked to me via Twitter and Facebook. All right, first question. Jamie asks, should you submit your story's prologue along with your first chapters at the submission stage? Well, it depends on what the uh, agent's... I mean, my answer is, if it is important to the novel, then it needs to be in there. Yeah, if the prologue is important enough that you included it before the first chapter, then... Yes, if you're wondering this, then maybe the wonder should be if you should cut your prologue. Yeah. Um, But yes, you might just be asking, they say, send me the first three chapters. The prologue is one of those. That's what they mean. So go ahead um, and submit that. Some people get confused by that. Yeah. Yes, submit it. What do you do when you've got some pro sales, get to the second round with some editors, but can't get further. How do you get to the next level? Oh, that is such a frustrating period of time. Yeah. Keep, keep writing stories, keep submitting them. Yeah. Win a Nebula Award. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you have to... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, this, is, this happens to every writer where you will hit uh, a dry spell where it just feels like you can't sell anything. And don't, it, you know, I can mm-hmm. say don't worry about it, yeah. But you will worry about it. Just know that it is not unusual for it to happen and that the only solution to it is to keep writing. Yeah. And keep reading. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes, um, oh, how do I say this? Uh, it is very validating to sell. Um, but if selling is the only validation you experience from the writing, you're going to have a really hard time with this dry spell. Um, you need to realize that uh, uh, part of the reward of writing is having written something wonderful, and you need to keep writing. Mm, that's don't a very let, good point. Don't let the absence of sales tell you that you are not a writer. Very good point. Um, all right. How do you manage seeing sequel in a multiple POV novel? It's a good question. I use a lot of POVs in my books. Um, uh, Stormlight Archive, which I just finished the second one of, um, and should be coming out soon, hint, hint, um, <laughs> it, vol, often I will be rotating between three characters. And I do think about scene sequel with this, but I write the character viewpoint separately. So when I'm interweaving them, I am looking for chapters that complement each other. And when I do my polishes later on, when I do my revisions, I'll be reading the book straight through and running into chapters that just don't match the chapters around it. And at that point, I either have to revise the chapter or I have to rebuild the, um, the interweaving. And it might work better for scene sequel if I were just writing strictly chrono- chronologically. But I've found that when I do that, my emotional power for a character arc in a given character oftentimes has more trouble. 
Yeah. Um, I need to go it starts immediately. To, to it starts in. to bleed off. So it's a very different rhythm. My decision points for scene sequel uh, hinge upon the central rule that scene sequel format is a pacing tool for the reader to catch their breath or to be forced breathless and you know dragged along through the end of the story. It is not a pacing tool to necessarily allow the characters co- to catch their breaths. Mm. And okay. so I may have a character for whom the whole last half of the story is taken at a dead run. I am going to break scenes, you know, break mm. for scenes with that character and then cut to another character who will let the reader catch their breath. Right. But when we go back to the character who's at a dead run, they are still in scene mode. They might not get a sequel until the very end. And, you know, um, to be honest, when I write climactic scenes like that, I always go into strict chronological. Um, I write one viewpoint after another instead of writing them. Because you're pacing the end of the book. Because I'm pacing mm-hmm. the end of the book yep. in a very different way than where I'm pacing the middles of the, and the beginning of the book. Um, how do you tell if you are doing passive voice and why is it so right or so wrong? So the, the basic rule of thumb with passive voice is if you can add by zombies to the end of the sentence, then it is passive voice. So, um... <laughs> Uh, he was eaten by, by zombies. zombies. That's the obvious one, but yes. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, the ball was caught by zombies. By zombies. So that's that. You know, the uh, but. But that's a great well, cliffhanger sentence for the end of the first chapter. <laughs> yes. Um, the reason that it is such a big deal. First of all, passive voice is per- is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. You're, it's what runs into problems is that it can often be distancing. And and it is often overused by new writers. So when people are saying, never use passive voice, that's kind of an exercise thing that people are telling you to get you out of the habit of it and right. to get you into the habit of thinking of other structures. Yeah. And in general, as a rule of thumb, passive voice is more confusing and less immediate. Mm-hmm. These are things you want to avoid in your prose. So that's why. Yeah. And I'm, we're going to put this in the liner notes, but um, we're going to link you to Grammar Girl, who has a wonderful oh, yes. thing on passive voice and explaining what it is and how to recognize it. And when in the past I've said that writing excuses should be your favorite writing podcast, um, uh, I will allow that it's possible that Grammar Girl... Yes, Mike. and writing excuses can be number two. That's that's we, allowed. We will we will allow Grammar Girl to take the number one slot. Um, Sometimes. <laughs> by zombies. By, by zombies. zombies. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hans or Hans, uh, probably Hans, but you never can tell, asks, I um, talked to you about Deus Ex Machina. What's the difference between Deus Ex and an unexpected, well, an unexpected or unforeshadowed turn of events. For example, a mugging happens in your story. Unexpectedly, your characters are saved by a cop walking by. Deus Ex Machina or not? And I'm going to say it depends on your goals as a writer for that scene. Very frequently, you will read in the beginning of a book the character getting saved by their good friend who was, who was happening to pass by. And it, the, the goal of this, while you can do this as a very lazy uh, sort of writing, but you can do it well too. Um, the goal of that scene is to introduce the character, the friend, in a dynamic and interesting way. So while it is solving a problem, your goal for that scene was not to have them think about, "Wow, that was a close scrape. I'm glad they got through." Your goal for that scene was, "I want to introduce this character in an interesting way." The mugging and the cop 
is mm -hmm. I think the the best example of this from famous fiction is The Hobbits and the Barrowites saved by Tom Bombadil. Yes. And that scene serves to show us that the hobbits are way out of their depth. Right. And that scene is very unsatisfying and unfulfilling for a lot of modern readers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons that it was cut from the movie and was replaced with other tools to show us that the hobbits are incompetent and out of their depth. Yeah. Um, and so, so ask yourself these questions. You can use quote-unquote deus ex machina. It is another tool of yours. But what it does is, is it undermines the conflict and the competence of the character. Mm -hmm. All right. So how do you maximize the emotion created when killing off a main character? Adverbs. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I say they're adverbs. Very, I say, very, I say, very, very dead. No, 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 I say adverbs. Adverbs by themselves don't work well. You have to also incorporate passive voice. He was stickily dead. He was... He died badly. <laughs> okay. Dead he was. I would say that... Um, he was eaten by zombies. He was, he was killed badly. It depends. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You're... The reader's emotional reaction is going to depend on what they thought of that character. If you want the character's death to have an, a, a certain emotion, you need um, to have created a certain different set of emotions regarding that character. For instance, if they really hate the character, there will be strong emotions of, yes, finally. If they're really annoyed by the character, there will be emotions of, finally. And those are two different sort of things. The cheering, yes, he's dead, and the, oh, I'm so glad they got rid of that character. Mm -hmm. um, so these are, it depends on if you've laid your groundwork or not. Yeah. And, and likewise, if you actually want the reader to feel an emotional, if, if you want them to be sad about mm -hmm. the character, you also have to lay your groundwork for that. And the question then is, how do you do that? And that is, that really gets into a lot of, uh, things where you're having to think about this all the way through the book. Mm -hmm. So that the character, if you want them to be sad, they have to be emotionally invested, and they kind of have to think that you aren't going to kill them. Right, right. When I first that. met Felicia Day, I told her to her face, I am so glad your character died in Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog because... I don't see any other way for that story to have been successful. And I share that with you guys, not because I was a horrible person as Felicia Day. She agreed, by the way. But uh, because if you watch that show and try and envision that show working with her character living... Mm -hmm. I can write that ending. All right. There's a challenge. <laughs> um, I think that will be our uh, writing prompt. That may prompt. be our writing prompt. But um... Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's go ahead and do our book of the week, which Howard is going to promote for us. And the book of the week is about fear. Yes. Um, I need to, the, the book has a colon in the title. I need to look it up. The Gift of Fear colon, and Other Survival Signals That Protect Us From Violence by Gavin De Becker. This is a nonfiction book which uh, I picked up, uh, Sandra read it, and then handed it to me and said, you as someone who has a public-facing career where you interact with strangers all the time, you need to read this. And I read it and I realized that some of the many times I've been uncomfortable in crowd situations, those have been situations in which my brain was trying to tell me something useful and I wasn't paying enough attention. Mm. Um, this book, uh, I'm not going to mince words here. This book can save your life. Yeah. It is well worth reading. It's well worth having read to you. It's only three hours long um, and it's, it's extremely valuable information. Um, okay. The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. You can pick it up at, uh, at Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse and start a 30-day free trial membership and you can have it read to you for free. Cedric. Oh, and it's narrated by the author. Narrated oh. by Gavin DeBecker. Cedric asks, if you are a pantser, how do you keep your story from growing larger than you are capable of handling? You know, this is an interesting question because um, I think most writers that I've met, at least when they start, they often are pantsing, quote-unquote, their discovery writing before they figure out this whole outlining thing and, and stuff like that. I think most writers at the beginning, that could be different. But even I, who am a strict outliner nowadays, my very first books I didn't know about. how I didn't know how to create a book outline. I'd never written a book before, so I just pantsed. And lo and behold, the book spiraled completely out of control um, too many characters, too many viewpoints, too many plot threads. Um, everything just became this big heaping disaster where I finally ended the book halfway through and said, this is the ending. And then I wrote the second half and tried to tie these things up. Um, Dan, I know, did the very same thing on his first book. It just completely spiraled out of his hands. We were both trying to write epic fantasy. Um, and so we had uh, maybe very large aspirations. Um, so I'm glad that you mentioned mm -hmm. the, the multiple characters and multiple. Yes. Um, one of the one of the ways to ramp up tension yeah. or, or something else is to have someone else into the room suddenly to convey yes. a piece of information, and that's the thing that adds you that has uh, you know more and more characters. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you can do to control scale is to control the number of characters and the number of scenes. So look at the things when you, what will happen to you as a pantser is that you'll be like, I don't know what happens next. I'll bring someone new in. Look at the tools that you've already used yeah. and repeat somebody. 
Mm-hmm. You know, see if you can solve whatever problem it is you that you have with tools that you have already introduced without going and getting something right. new. And the more viewpoint characters you add, the more this is going to spiral. Yes. And I would try to keep the number of viewpoints down in particular. Uh, for, for starting novelists, stick to two or three maximum. Try doing one. Yeah. I'm going to be daring and I am going to, I am going to disagree. Okay. And say that that particular failure mode will be a fantastic experience for you. And there are things that you might not be able to learn mm. without having without having written your way into that mess. At some point, you you know, as a professional author, as a writer with uh, decades under you know under your belt, um, you'll be able to sit down and write a character or write a book that has uh, you know twenty important characters five of whom are, you know, critical POV characters, and you'll be able to manage all that. Um, at some point, though, you need to you need to set out running a race that is longer than you have the physical strength for, and then you need to walk the last mile uh, and get a feel for just how long that track is. Rob asks, when someone you meet for the first time asks what you do for a living, how do you answer? I write and illustrate science fiction. I write fantasy novels. Uh, it depends on the context for me because I have mm. three different careers. Yep. Um, so usually these days I will answer with, um, I'm an author. Uh, and that's usually all I will say. And I won't say science fiction or fantasy mm-hmm. because I will let them ask the next question. Um, and the reason I start with that one is because of the three careers... That is the one that um, having someone go, oh, really? Let me go look up your work. That's the one that's most likely to, like, someone is not going right. to say, oh, let me hire you for a puppet show. Right. Um, or, you know, and I don't, you know. Oh, I need someone to read my audio yeah. book? Yeah. Yeah, but, oh, really? Let me buy your book on my Kindle right now has happened. So um, so that's the one that I usually start with. And then the the part of the reason that I just say I'm an author is because it gives them room to ask me another question, which turns it into a conversation rather than a sales right. pitch. Well, you don't, um, you say three careers. You don't mention the super spy one then. <laughs> Please. Eric? Yeah. Um, because I still have a day job as a web developer in contexts where my author persona is not primary, uh, I'll say I'm a web developer, but I also uh, am an author. Um, if, if I'm at a convention, I'll say I'm an author. My day job is as a web developer. All right. Final question. How do you get out of the he did this, then she did this stage direction-esque style of writing? Which is actually a very good question because I see a lot of my writing students falling into this beat by beat, this happened, this happened, this happened. Um, type of writing. It is the problem in in that question. Is the problem mm. the word then? Because well, what no, I found what yeah. I found is that yes, then can be uh, incredibly overused because what you are doing is establishing chronology with words that you don't need because the order of the actions mm. themselves establish the chronology. But when I've noticed this in my students' writing. What this 
um, person is asking, uh, Travis, I believe, um, is how do you avoid this? When, when I've noticed this, it's because the author is not putting something deeply enough into a viewpoint. Yep. And they're okay. not having an emotional, the characters not having an emotional tie to what is happening, or the descriptions are not evoking character. You are doing only one thing with your writing. Yes. When we want okay. to evoke setting, character, and plot, and they're evoking only plot. Yes. Uh, I'm just going to ditto that. Okay. Mary, do you have a writing prompt for us? Yes. Um, what I want you to do is, since we're just talking about action, I want your character to be doing two things at once. Okay. Um, I want them to, and you can pick any two things at once. Any. Any two things at once. Walking I, and chewing gum. Well, for instance, talking the entire time, yeah, the, talking and <laughs> sewing, the entire time that we've been podcasting for the, the 16 episodes, I have been sitting here sewing a Regency dress. So I want you to do, have your characters doing two completely unrelated things, but that are both plot specific. Awesome. This has been Writing Excuses. Thank you all very much for listening, and thank you again, Eric, for filling in during these episodes for us. You all are out of excuses. Now go write. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.